This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trade readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. I'm your host, Gianna Hearn, and today we're going to continue our reading of Ephesians. We're in chapter 5, verse 21. We're actually going to go through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. So we've got a large chunk today, but before we get to it, let's introduce the fellas. Michael, what's up? Hello. How are you doing today? I say fellas and you say hello very astutely. I know that was my that was my fancy voice. Did it did it sound fancy? It, it sounded similar to your normal voice. Oh. Um, oh, but you know, Jason, what's up? What's happening? What's happening? He has a little like <clears throat> cooler voice, I would say. Wow. Okay, we're starting already with personal attacks. That's all right. Uh, you know, if Jason's cooler, I can live with that. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to be diving into, uh, I would say, some pretty important verses, verses people in our movement talk about a lot. So I'm excited about it. But before we get yeah. there, Michael, any anything you want to throw at us today? You know, here's what's on my the forefront of my mind right now. I have a question for you guys. This is important. When you go to a grocery store, do you buy the the brand name food or do you buy like the generic version that the grocery store puts out well don't open a can of worms on me michael because this is something i'm really big about uh, no i want to hear because groceries and all that um but I would say it's not necessarily the name brand. It's more of the ingredients that are in it. So it can be off-brand or on-brand, but it just depends. But I'm, So I'm saying all, all things being equal. Like, like the other day, I was going to the store and I was going to get black beans, a can of black beans. And so, like, the black beans were, like, half the price – from like, you know, you have like your your name brands, there's like Bush and Preferita or whatever it is. And then the grocery store, it was Kroger's, I think I was at. It had like their Kroger brand. It was like half the price. So I got it, but I'm like, is it is it like lower quality? Is this, should I just be buying like name brand stuff? Like, why is it that much more expensive? These are questions that I need to have answered. Jason, you're nodding your head. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I'm too, I'm too vain to not buy the, the name brand. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, like the difference, the difference between marshmallow mateys and lucky charms is vast in my experience, but that just could be, you know, my propensity to need. Yeah. So that seems different. Expensive, the best. That, yeah, that I would say is different because like certain name brands for like sugary items or like specialty items, they do have their own secret recipes. But when you're talking about like beans or any vegetables or meat and different things like that, um, to me, it's more important whether it's organic or not, not name brand or not. Because if I get an organic, uh, in my region of the world, Safeway or Smith's or Rayleigh's, those are the grocery stores in my area. I don't have a Kroger, but if I get organic of that, it, that's what matters to me, not the name brand. So do you think organic is even really a thing? A hundred percent, but not in everything. So like 
I mean, I can't get into it. There, this is something I'm like, no, really no, no, big no, no, about. no. Okay. Let but, me, let me clarify. Let, I'm not saying that organic versus non-organic. I'm saying, can't they just slap, mm. slap the name organic on anything and it might not be organic. I mean, yeah, maybe they could, because I know that you, some big manufacturers pay, uh, those labeling companies to slap that on there. I wouldn't say the organic one is typically that, but like, uh, when you're talking about like safe farmed tuna or safe fish tuna, you can pay for those labels. So I don't always trust those, but USDA, I mean, you, you can only trust as much as you can trust. So I'm going to go with trusting the government on the, or on the organic, but, um, Europe has way better organic practices and in food practices in general. So, I mean, if you can get something from Europe you can try that. Ooh, but I thought, I thought for a moment there, Gianna, we were going to move into a not trusting the government, uh, angle, which I was all for, you know? Yeah. I can't get into that because then I would go stir crazy about everything. Um, but you know, I just choose to, read the third-party tested journals on food and see which organic stuff is actually showing it has pesticides or not. So don't get me going on this, Michael. Uh, but I would say if it's beans, just just buy the uh, store, brand, store brand one. I mean, they're beans. As long as they don't have... Look at the labels. Sometimes they put really bad inflammatory oils in those non-name How am I supposed so. to know what bad inflammatory oils are now? Yeah. No. Well, and, yeah. The, and a lot of those, like... Like IGA or some of these big bean, um, mm. whatever, like corn peas. Mm -hmm. um, I and maybe it's because I've recently been reading Wendell Berry, and you know his big thing is you know like s local farms, like you yeah buy from you know don't don't shop at Kroger. Is, exactly is the, is the it's the position of at least his position. Oh, um, don't tell my wife that show, she's going to have a whole garden in her oh, backyard. Really? She's always wanting to start a yeah, garden and yeah. do all that. Well, yeah. So the question is, what are we participating in? Uh, even mm -hmm. in the generic, I mean, ethically, even in the generic brands, um, you're saving money, but the, you know, to, at, at what price? <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> See, that's a whole nother conversation. That Does is. it matter if you get, you asked at the beginning, if you get, brand or non-brand like doesn't matter as far as quality or the type of beans you're getting but now we're talking about like ethical reasons moral moral yeah, reasons yeah. like it's just a huge don't open up this conversation michael it's just too so, big so the 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 lightning rod for this conversation for suburban folks is the costco rotisserie chicken oh my gosh yes or no no do not have it no, right. No, I think no is the answer. Why? But, it tastes so but good. It is. It, it does taste <laughs> so good. What's wait? I mean, what's wrong like with the Costco? Not that I've you ever had heard it. Heard of this? Well, no. I mean, oh, we get we get rotisserie chickens, but not at Costco. We don't go to Costco. My wife no, the loves Costco rotisserie, rotisserie chicken. chicken. It's a huge topic yeah. right now. This Costco rotisserie chicken. Um, you know this really popular guy who he came out and talked about it and said like, do not get it. Like it's so bad. And people love this chicken. I like the chicken. They're huge. But they're huge. Is it because they're shooting it full of steroids or what? Apparently not is the claim, but it's really sodium high, like high sodium, oh. but they are delicious. delicious. But it's the quintessential, like, uh, because, okay, well, 
Yeah, like, so I've never slaughtered an animal, but I have friends who have just to maintain that connection with what's on their plate. And Costco is the, like, example par excellence of being at a full remove <laughs> from from the meat we eat, you know, because they're, cause they're, they're, what's the word, bread? They're bread at such a mass quantity, right? Like, oh, yeah. And they're huge. You Where do you it. find a huge turkey chickens like that? Anyways, like something. I'm like. not trying to promote anybody, but I do follow this guy and he's <laughs> called Bobby Approved. But Bobby takes the. Oh, extra that's step. Flav City, right? I know that yep, guy. Yep. Yeah. I'm obsessed with him. And Michael, you asked about inflammatory oils. <laughs> He goes into like educating people on a ton of different things. But anyways, like chicken should be pasture raised, like on a pasture, like, you know, whatever. Costco's is not. So what Jason's saying makes 100 uh, percent sense. But Michael, well, I don't do you know remember? if I've, I don't know enough. Yeah. Do you remember when we went to Africa, Michael? I, I mean, I feel like you had to remember that. It was, it was memorable. No, <laughs> Gianna. We, I have no idea what you are speaking of. <laughs> when we were in Africa. This was Reggie and I's first time. The food there, you know, we didn't know what to, what to expect. Uh, and the chicken tastes so much different. And I was asking. Yeah, everybody woman, says and, that when they go. And he, I was asking why. And they were like, well, because of, you know, how we kill it and how closely in the amount of time we eat it from when we killed it and all these different things. And I'm like, yeah, we don't do that in America. Well, it's because it's like, what they feed it to. It's natural yeah. food. The chickens are running around. They're not in some big warehouse. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. interesting. Well, that's, that, that, there's, I, I remember, you know, when I was a fat kid, I used to eat uh, um, KFC on the regular. Like, it mm -hmm. was just like a, a, a staple. And then somebody told me they grow those chickens without fur or heads <laughs> or, like, without <laughs> beaks or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know why, I, but I believed them. I'm like. Without a head. I haven't. <laughs> Yeah, I pictured them like growing them out of the ground or like on a tree or something. But I, I didn't eat. I haven't eaten KFC since the '90s because of that. Like that, that stuff freaks me out. Like remember that that scene in Napoleon Dynamite with those long oh, yes. chicken coops? <laughs> like oh man, like the the idea that I'm eating something that came out of that makes me sick. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, I feel like I could extend this conversation, uh, this type of conversation, and Jesus is what gets me juiced. Right. So uh, maybe we should move into the Jesus realm. Nice segue, Gianna. Eh, you know, I do what I can. Um, so we'll definitely be juiced to talk about what's going on today because yeah. people have opinions on it. We're talking about wives and husbands and children and blah, 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 children. And submitting. <laughs> submitting. Mm, I'm sure I'll have stuff to say. Yeah. So Ephesians chapter five, we're starting in verse 21. And... The section in my Bible app says instructions for Christian households. So before we were reading, it said instructions for Christian living. Now it says Christian households. So we're starting to like get smaller and more narrowed in. Um, all right. Reading glasses on. We're not reading this one today. So Jason, I'll start with you. There's probably a thousand things that stick out to you in this large section that we're talking about today. But uh, what things do you want to point out today? in reading glasses on when you're, when you're just skimming through it. Um, 
Uh, let's see. I would say I have to skim through it. Um, it's like, where do we well, begin? Uh, I, I know. <laughs> yeah. What, what, where, um, you know, the versification, uh, becomes an issue. What I mean is like the fact that there are numbered verses, um, uh, it can be decisive for how we read it. Um, and especially mm-hmm. in translation, um, where, where we kind of put these breaks, there are breaks in the Greek text the the, the, the break, uh, here would be verse 21 starts a new paragraph. Um, and, and actually the verb in verse 21, uh, governs verse 22 as well. There's no verb in verse 22. That is like a lot of English translations, verse 22 begins the new section. Then it says something like wives submit to your husbands, but submit isn't there. It's dependent mm. on what's happening in verse 21. So that, you know, I, I think, where we where we break the paragraph in our in our interpretive uh, endeavor uh, can can be, but not necessarily super, but can be important. Um, uh, wh- whether or not this is a, um, uh, I you know I'm, I'm interested in, yeah in 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 the Greco Roman household uh, structure and and the extent to which what I think Paul is doing is a a sampling and an inversion or a subversion of that, of that, uh, kind of hierarchy within the home. Um, but most interesting to me is what's not said. Um, and that is the word leader never appears here. And I Mm. think I'm really interested in that discussion with these verses because we usually uh, walk away from this passage with a, unnecessarily rigid view of the Christian home, wherein the dad or the husband um, is the leader of the household. And then all that that means for us, what the word leader ends up meaning for us. But but that language does not seem to be used. Maybe we can get that we get leader from the, the use of the word head that shows up. The husband is ahead of the wife. Uh, but I don't think that's what what is meant here. So those are like reading glasses on <clears throat> things that just as a as a as an interpreter of the Bible in a ministry position, you know, on a regular basis, having to read this passage with uh, other Christians, those those have become important to me. Um, and as a man, <laughs> I think it's so yeah, interesting well, that's hearing true from too. you too, yeah. because we both are men yeah. and both are leaders, and yeah. in the sense of being leaders in churches and. Uh, so I, I'll be really interested to hear how you guys take this and versus how Reggie and I have read over it together as a married couple. Um, but interested to see what you guys have to say. Michael, reading glasses on points. Yeah. Can I just start and say Reggie is right? Mm. With however. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so here's here's the thing with this passage. And I'm going to try really hard right now to just do our reading glasses on just observe and Mm. and not Mm -hmm. jump into the time machine just yet and i agree with what jason was talking about the 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 key element of verses here 
And I, I think Paul is actually, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's important to understand, as we talked last time, this is not the, to me, this is not the beginning of a section or the end of a section. It's the middle of a section. And he's been talking about what a community filled with the Spirit looks like, a, a community, and he uses those participles that instead of being animated by wine, is animated by the Spirit, speaking to one another, um, making music, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. And then he's going to go on and explain, expand a little bit uh, on submitting. And and we'll talk in, in our next section of Time Machine of why he would feel the need to expand on that one. Uh, I think there's a pretty logical reason why the other ones he can just mention and this one he needs to really kind of lay out what he means and doesn't mean as i read this passage though this is one of those places where it's really important to recognize that we never read a passage without our culture getting in between us and the text that that's just a reality And if we're not aware of it, it can lead us astray quickly. If we are, we can tend to use that as a tool, that that knowledge that, okay, I have a certain way that I'm going to read this. And then that helps me maybe reserve some of the things I, I might want to read into this passage or whatever. And so with this passage, you know, we call this section reading glasses on. Well, which glasses, which cultural glasses I have on are going to be a really big factor in how I then move forward with this passage after reading it and observing it. And if I just read this with my cultural glasses on, I, I see right away, you know, I, I've already forgotten submit to one another. I see wives submit to your husbands. Bam, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that means. And yeah, I know it goes on and says husbands should love their wives. And if I'm loving my wife, she'll want to submit. And that's the way I want to read it. And if I'm not loving her, then, you know, submitting might be harder. But yet and still she's called to submit. It doesn't say if he loves you. You know, these are the... And these are kind of, so I read it through the lens of how we do marriage, how we view marriage, how, how we understand households. And it goes on in the next chapter with uh, children and parents. And, uh, you know, again, you can tend to jump right to children, obey your parents. And then it talks about slaves and master relationship. And so, but, but that reading, one, tends to exalt my culture and not take the time to think about what the original culture is. But I think it also doesn't maybe pay attention to the context, the theme of this letter. Because as we talk throughout, the theme of this letter is this cosmic battle that Paul is calling the church to engage in, to recognize that it's already engaged in with the powers and authorities, which are seeking to divide, seeking to uh, install their levels of hierarchy and division into the church, just like they have the world. And if that's, 
the case, then I need to keep that theme in mind. If I forget that and I'm just reading it, you know, Paul's talking all about, oh, the church and we come together and the two create this new humanity. And then here are the things that you should do and the way you should live because you're in Christ. And then all of a sudden he kind of takes his turn to like, here's how husbands and wives should interact and children and parents. And it doesn't flow. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, with that, it's kind of like Paul is just herky jerky jumping to topics, and I don't think that's what he's doing. So there's there's the theme that needs to be considered, the culture that needs to be considered, and then there's all kind of words in this passage that we would want to study out. Uh, submit the head. What does it mean when it says you know the husband is the head and Christ is the head? Uh, what is all that? What is uh, washing her with water? And you go on just constant terms. Almost every term in this passage in chapter five, at least, is something that needs to be studied out and understood in context and and what Paul is doing. So there's a lot there uh, that needs to be studied. Um, But, I think a lot of that starts to fall into place when we do look at it in its situational, cultural, and historical context. So I think that means we should move on to the time machine then so we can do that. There you go. So so where are we at, Michael? What is it looking like for those that would be hearing this message at this time? Okay. So context-wise... As I, as I said, Paul has been talking about the theme of fighting the powers. And this is going to come to a head in our next episode in chapter 6, that famous verse where he says, uh, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the authorities and the realm of darkness and all that. And then in that passage, and we'll get into this in detail next week, but he basically lays out... Uh, in in some very brilliant writing, how they are to be imitators of God. And he leans on a passage from the Old Testament and shows a, a depiction of God from Isaiah as the divine warrior who is fed up with injustice, who is fed up with inequity and status and hierarchy and oppression and putting some people down and inferior and superior and says, I looked across the land and I saw no one who would bring justice. And so I will do it myself. And he uses this imagery of him as the warrior against justice. Paul picks up that imagery from Isaiah and then says, this is your vocation. You now do this. You, so this is, Remember we talked about what does Paul mean when he's saying imitate God? Does it mean that, you know, God doesn't lie and God is this moral being? In in other words, Paul has been laying out all along how they are to imitate God. And it is to be in the fight against sin and equity and justice. Individual sin, yes, but the also the systemic structural corporate type sins, the powers and authorities. And this is what he's, he's focusing on. So that's, that's what he's talking about. And what we see in this passage, starting in Ephesians 5, with the submitting to one another, 
Paul is showing them how they do that in practical terms. They don't go out and it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go out and become justice warriors, wiping out inequity and injustice wherever they find it and fix the world. That's not our role. Christ will do that one day. We are to anticipate that day by becoming Mm -hmm. a community that reflects that reality and calling people to it and and, uh, advocating for that, but understanding that our our primary role is going to be to advocate that in creating an alternate society and a new reality. And so he's calling them to be imitators of God, justice bringers. Now, how's he doing that? And here's the, here's the thing. And, and you know, jump in if you have any questions. Jason, jump in if you have any thoughts or questions, whatever, uh, both of you. But the nuclear bomb he shoots off in the cultural context here is verse 21. So submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm not sure we can overstate that's a that's a nuclear missile shot into the middle of their culture. Submit to one another. There's no concept of that. What does that even look like? How do you do that? Uh, how would how would anything be structured? So Paul has blown that up. Like submit to one another. This is this is how we imitate God. This is. Because that's who God is. The Trinity submits to one another. The Trinity is an equal relationship, different roles, but equal relationship. And so he's he's calling them to that sort of thing, to be that kind of people. But in the midst of the culture they're in, it would have been very confusing. Now, here's the thing. Imagine, Gianna, if or Jason, either one of you, that you were, let, let's say both of you, you were you were brought up in homes where you were never allowed to eat sweets or candy or desserts of any kind, right? Boring. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you move out and you you move into a new house for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. And you realize now you are told, well, you can have anything you want. You can eat whatever you want. What would be the the tendency in that situation? If you're going from you can't eat sweets at all to now you can eat whatever you want, what is going to be your first normal reaction? Jason? Sorry. Um, yeah, probably to just... Uh... Uh, I, I am free. Uh, I'll do what I want. You're going to go crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah. At least explore a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you, Mm -hmm. if you've been totally denied it, you're probably going to be like, man, I am eating zebra cakes for breakfast and I'm going to have, you know, just on and on and on. You're just going to go crazy. I think that's a bit of human nature. So now imagine you're in a culture where there is no question you are the inferior. And that's the way Roman society was set up. It was this very stratified hierarchical thing. Men were the superior, women were the inferior. 
Adults were the superior, children were the inferior. They had no say, no status, nothing. Uh, Free people were superior, slaves were inferior. Uh, And that's the way it was, and it was reinforced through the legal system and through every other means and the social system, the cultural system, the way you ate meals, the places you were allowed access to in every way. And now Paul comes into that culture and says, submit to one another. This is the kind of culture we're going to be now. You're all equal. There is no superior or inferior. Well, if you've been the inferior your whole life, what's your natural reaction going to be? To swing too far the other way, right? To be like, you know what? I've been submitting my whole life. I've been on the bottom my whole life. Now I don't have to do that. So I think what Paul does here is eminently practical. In each case, he addresses the inferior first. And I think says, now hang on. We are creating a community of equality But we submit to one another. So wives, you're still submitting to your husbands. Children, you're still obeying your parents. Slaves, you're still, you know, yada, yada, and on he goes. And so to me, it makes eminent sense. He's he's just simply, that's why he's stressing that with these groups. It's not that he's telling women that they need to submit. And, And in fact, the maybe shocking thing here is that he's addressing them at all because Paul is engaging in a type of uh, writing called household codes. It was common in Roman culture. Uh, They had household codes all all the time. Household codes always addressed the superior and told them what their rights were what they should expect, what they could get away with and and what they could do. Uh, In fact, Aristotle, in one of his household codes, said it is part of the household science for the husband to rule over the wife and children, for the male is by nature better fitted to command than the female. This was the Greco-Roman mindset. Interesting word, rule over. Rule over. Jason mentioned that there's not a lead or that term leader, you know, in that one says rule. (laughs) Yeah. And and in fact, Josephus, uh, a Jewish historian writing in the first century said, the women says the law is in all things inferior to the man. Let her accordingly be submissive, not for her humiliation, but that she may be directed for the authority has been given by God to the man. So Paul is, it kind of blows this up in a sense. And he does it in several places. Uh, Galatians 5.13, 1 Corinthians 7.4. And in this passage where there's an equality, a submission to one another, a, a sort of a, a dismantling of that mindset. Yeah, and we're so, not seeing inferior language. We're not seeing no. any like above or below language, more a balanced language. Yeah, it's and that's why verse 21 is the key, because that is really the thesis statement. And then the rest of this is in response to that. Uh, 
So we are going to be a, a community of equality. However, wives, that doesn't mean you just throw off submission now and Dang. you've been doing it long enough, but it's now an <laughs> equality submission where we do it mm-hmm. with one another. Um, children, that doesn't mean, oh, great. Now I don't have to obey my parents anymore because I've been doing that. No, 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 no. But it's a, it's a different function and purpose and there's a, there's a different aim. And, and then he gives responsibilities to what would be considered the superior in each relationship, which is, again, mind-blowing. That, that just wasn't normally done. That's not how you did things back then. And so he's, he's really upending uh, that sort of thing. And so now let me say one other thing about household codes. They were not individual instructions for how people should behave. That's not how they operated in, in the Greco-Roman world. They were to display the values of the community. Uh, again, Aristotle, when he's writing about his household codes, he says this, every household is part of the state and these relationships are part of the household and the excellence of the part must have regard to that of the whole. And so in other words, he's saying like the values of the household will affect the whole community. And so the household codes were vehicles to carry not individual instruction per se, but the values of the community. So Paul is doing that same thing. He's like, here are the values of the community where we are submitting to one another, but we're doing it with this hedge on that we, we keep submitting to one another. We don't go too far the other way. Um, and so, well, let, let me stop there with submission and say, Jason, do you have anything to add? Or G, do you have anything to add? There's a little more I want to say about the head, but uh, we'll stop right there for a minute. Jason? Um, I don't have a lot to say. I think, uh, I'm, you know, I think uh, the, you know, the question is, does, does Paul ask wives to submit to their husbands? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, and, and then it's, it's kind of subverted because the very, um, the very way that a husband is called to live with his wife, um, is, is a, is unique. Like there's a, there's a, there's an analogy made that the wife, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And then there's a description of Christ as the savior of the church, Um, which is, believe it or not, rare language. I mean, I think in, you know, in, in a modern context, in, especially in the West, you know, with the um, the increasing value placed on the individual, we, we often lead any discussion about Jesus with language like Savior. Um, have you been saved? Um, do you have, did you accept Jesus as your personal Savior? Uh, but to our surprise, Jesus being referred to as a Savior is, is pretty rare. 
Es- especially, um, Jason, if, if he were making the point that Jesus is the leader or authority in the church, you would think he would say he is the Lord here and not he is the Savior. Well, that that's what I yeah. was getting at. Yeah, right. And instead of, instead of the word for head— um, we'd have uh, the word for leader, like ar- archon, right? Uh, like uh, like what's used as of leaders elsewhere in the gospel, like the the chief priests, the the leaders in the in the synagogue. Um, but savior is a, is an intentional word, um, and there's it's not a one to one correspondence. It's not. Um, this is to to really uh, uh, exhaust the metaphor too far to to imagine that the wife is saved by her husband like that's a comparison see christ saved the church and the husband saves his wife that you know no, no one no one would think that uh, that that's what's meant but it's a careful kind of language that jesus is the savior of the church okay well how did he save the church it's in complete self donation and so the the thing that the husband is being summoned to uh, to do is to become like Jesus in his saving work in the church. And it's an odd thing to call the head of the household uh, to that kind of submission. Submission to the wife, submission to the children, masters in submission to their slaves in this way. This is this is very um uh, strange language, but Paul, as a as a master rhetorician and as a kind of movement leader, though I don't think he'd call himself that, um, he he doesn't just come right out and say, "Us, you know, screw the household codes. We ain't living like that." Husbands, you need to submit to your wives. He doesn't do that. Instead, he goes with the normal. Any Ephesian listener would be probably somewhat familiar with this kind of hierarchy within the home. And so he goes with it. He says, you know, wives, you should submit to your husbands. And husbands, you are the head of of the wife. But here's what I mean by head. It's a little different than what you're used to, um, Ephesian population. You know, it's 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 quite different. Uh, here's here's what I mean by by head. And so there's a kind of like detonator inserted into the whole program. Um, of the Greco-Roman household. And honestly, it's a step, it's an advance in some sense, even from what we call the Beit Av, uh, which is the, the household of the father within uh, within Judaism. Uh, if you look at like um, uh, Leviticus 18 and 20, the, the, the male, males of the household are to protect the women's Ervat, ervat, which is their nakedness, and their their basic role is outlined as a as a protector. And this is a kind of like uh, deepening or clarifying that it's it's protection, but yes, at the cost of oneself. Now that's probably implied, but here it's made specific um, that the husband's role. If we're going to talk about him being a leader, then he's the kind of leader who dies, which is scandalizing. Uh, for the paterfamilias to be in the place of a savior like that, to give himself like that. Um, and so we have to start there and build out from there. Okay, well, if we're going to talk about husbands now, and the basic idea here is, yeah, going all the way back up to verse 1 of chapter 5, and, and even before that, they'd be an imitator of God, um, then then that's where we have to start. Because unfortunately, the husband is ahead of the wife. What we mean is, 
You know, it can it can be as trite as I want to go to Disney for vacation, but my wife wants to go to whatever San Marcos. Well, we're going to Disney because I'm the man. You know, it can it can be that kind of uh, misunderstanding where it's the the husband is ultimately the the is where the buck stops. He'll make all the decisions. Uh, none of that's none of that's here. None none of that kind of thing is 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 uh, even put on the table here. It is by the Greco Roman household code, but but then Paul quickly jabs a knife in, in it and says, nope, that's that's not necessarily what, what it's going to be like. So um, it's really re- revolutionary and delicate. Uh, it, same, same with the discussion about, about slavery, which of course we've talked about that. It's quite different from, from our, you know, our history with slavery in our country, but nonetheless, uh, Paul's quite delicate. He kind of puts a time bomb on these these structures, and they they're left to deteriorate, deteriorate or explode uh, several times as time move on. Time moves on based on what he's saying. So it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's really. very difficult. It'd be a lot easier to just say, "Well, I'm the husband, so get behind me." Um, but it's the opposite. <laughs> I wish you know. someone would say that. Uh, no, that's, that's really great, Jason. And it just reminded me of an example where I felt like Reggie did a really good job of doing what the scripture says, um, and not just using his quote unquote power or what he could take from this and be like, Oh, I'm the leader whatnot. But as many of you know, like March Madness is going on his team, Northwestern made it. We talked about this, Michael, last uh, episode at the very beginning, but his team made it and they won the first game. And Reggie had gone to that game in person with his mom. I stayed back because it was just a lot. We'd been traveling. And so he wanted really badly to go to the second game. And he's like, this is like once in a lifetime for his school. It's once in a lifetime. Literally for Northwestern (laughs) it is, yeah. (laughs) It's only second time in program history. But, you know, I told him I am so exhausted to the point where I can barely stay awake to take care of our child right now. Like that would be too much for me. I would really appreciate it if we could watch it as a family at home. I could make dinner. And he was so torn. It was to me, I was like, why are you so torn? It's just a basketball game, you know? And then I was like, okay, I can't devalue his like the likes and desires. Um, but he really wrestled with it. And he came to the point where, you know, he, he took into account how tired I was. Our child was, you know, not on a schedule. We've been traveling a lot for work. And so he really denied himself and he stayed home and it was really challenging for him and they did lose that game. So we had plans to go to the next one if they won. And so, you know, I'm feeling like a little guilty, like, dang, okay, they lost. We should have went. But I was very grateful that, you know, Reggie decided to sacrifice something that was really important and fun for him to do. And so that I could not be overwhelmed so that I could feel like I could be a good wife and all those things. And so um, I felt like in that way, he really lived out the scripture because he could have said no this is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I gave him that's that good. opportunity, but yeah, um, yeah, that's good. That, that, that made me think of something else. Uh, that's cause that's kind of the, the, you know, when the rubber meets the road for most of us, that's the spirit. I think Paul is after where it's like concern for the other over our, our desires. Um, and it, it makes me think like, this is just the Christian way. And, uh, you know, Michael mentioned that, you know, we're really quick to turn to this passage and ask the questions, what does it mean to be a married couple? And we think that's actually what, you know, this, the whole 
chapter is about, but it is, it's, it's about a deeper, deeper, um, ethos, ethos in, in Christian homes. Like in Timothy, well, in chapter two of Ephesians, Paul calls it God's household. In Timothy, he calls it God's house, household. In Timothy, first Timothy three, three, 16, three, four, 14 through 16, I think it is. Um, which I think is the hinge of that whole whole letter, but but the the um, this can't be just the instructions to like because th- if you think about it, there there were of course then as there are now in any church, blended families, uh, remarried widows, widowers, orphans, divorced, single single parents, <laughs> young children, parents with teenagers and preteens, those living with. Uh, caring for uh, uh, aging parents, uh, singles. I mean, the the church is is comprised of all kinds of different life stages, and so it holds true. I think this is just a sampling of a larger point that Christians are to really lay down their life for one another. Um, and so I, I I think I think the single person should be listening to Paul's instructions to husbands. And wives, just as much as married people should, because it's it's more like a, a, a an example than like specific. Like I just want to talk to the marrieds now, um, because the yeah, yeah because the the, the the larger eth- ethos of a Christian home, which by the way, for the early Christian, what do we call it movement, uh, and I don't even know if they'd use the word Christian. I guess they would, but like. Not in the same way, this early Jesus following movement, the household was the fabric of the community. It wasn't these church buildings where services are held. It's the household. That's the foundation, these homes. And so the household is to is to be par excellence what it's like when God's in charge. Um so I think there's a parallel here that your household or your home or the Christian home is God's home. So they need to look like that. Um, so because that's true, this can't just be an instruction for just a, f- a few life stages. Anyways, all right. Sorry. That makes sense. Re- Michael, Reggie's you know, example funny. made me think of that. Yeah. Jason, at the beginning of all this was like in response to you. Do you have anything to say? Right. Uh, I don't think I have much. 15 minutes later. Right. Jason <laughs> always has much to say. He just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I think as I go, I guess. Yeah. 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 At, no, at, that's at the great. Outset, I'm like, I don't know if I do. Let, let me add a couple things to what Jason said, and then I want to kind of sum up what I'm thinking here. Uh, in reference to the the head language, the kephale in Greek, um, Mark Roberts in his uh, in his commentary has a, a great study on that. And when we see that word, you know, the husband is the head and Christ is the head, we automatically assume authority. And while that use of the term is not unknown in the ancient world, that's not the most common way that it's used or that Paul uses it. It can also mean the noblest part or the source of something or something that causes something to flourish. Uh, Paul uses that term figuratively 12 times in all of his writing. 
two times, uh, and so it's 10 times other than the two uses here. Two times he uses it to refer to authority. Eight times it means something else. He uses it twice in Ephesians, says Roberts. He uses it in chapter 1, in verses 20 and 23. And it refers to Christ's authority over everything for the benefit of the church or to create unity and bring about the life of the church. And in Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 16, he stresses again, he uses this term to stress that Christ is the source of unity within the church. He's, he's the head or the source of life that brings forth the unity in the life of the church. And so Roberts goes on to show that by context and what Paul is doing here, that seems to be what he is stressing here. As we mentioned earlier, he says Christ is the Savior. He's the one who laid his life down to create unity and to uh, create the conditions for the church to prosper and for its life to come forth. So he is the source of life for the church. Um and so he's the Savior, he's the source, not the Lord, not the ruler or authority. That's not how he's using the term here, although Christ is the authority in the church. That's not what Paul is stressing here. And so what he's right, saying is Right, it's just not the, the point of comparison. Yeah, it's just not the point. The point here is that the husband's role should bring about unity and result in the spiritual growth of the wife. Uh, he's not emphasizing the authority here. Now, let me say this kind of in summit, sum, summation then. Um, this is, we have to understand what household codes were intended to do. This is not like, as Jason said, Paul now turning and saying, singles, you can shut it down for a minute. Let me address the married folks and the parents here. And we're going to have a little marriage retreat here. That's not what he's doing. He is calling them. He is about to remind them, as he has been laying out through the whole letter, that they are the instrument of justice. They are the wisdom of God on display to the powers and authorities into the world. They are how God is changing the world through the church. And so he says, your life must reflect that. And he turns to this vehicle of the household codes and says, here's what our values are. Let me sum this up. By by way of example of household codes and showing what the values of our community look like. And it starts with, we are a people that submit to one another. We are image bearers. We reject the hierarchy of one over the other. We don't live I, I think that's that right. way. Yeah. We follow the way of the cross. We lay our lives down for others. And that looks like that means... There's not hierarchy. There's not husband over wife, parent over child, shut up and do what you're told, slaves over master, or masters over slaves, slaves, you have no value, you have no worth. We don't live that way. But that doesn't mean throw it off to the degree that there's no mutuality, there's no submission anymore, there's no respect. No, 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 no. 
those who were considered inferior by the culture, you're still going to demonstrate. You're still living the way of the cross too. You are still laying down your life and you're going to submit, but they have responsibilities. And so in that, we create this beautiful picture of the age to come where we submit to one another. That's what our community looks like. Yeah, so it's not like an inversion of a hierarchy so much as an annihilation of it. There you go. Level. Like everyone is go. everyone is given the um the 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 power holy spirit uh to to submit and to be virtuous and to to give themselves. No one's off the hook. Yeah, and there's definitely implications here for marriage and for parenting and you know some of that stuff. But he's, he's on a bigger scale here. And the one thing I will say is, again, I think there's implications and principles here for the whole Christian community and all Christians. But I, I, I'll sometimes see us kind of overstretch the application, like with slaves and masters. And we'll say, well, the way that applies today is at work. And not directly. That's not the same situation. Uh, what, what Paul is doing is, again, blowing up the injustices and inequitable situations of his culture. He's not trying to run out and say, here's, you know, here's how we're going to take down the world. We're going to be God's justice warriors. And so that means we're going to go picket for women's rights. Not that that's a bad thing, but that's not what he calls him to do. We're not going to go picket for children's rights. We're not going to go abolish slavery. You know what we're going to do? We're going to create an alternate society that shows the world God's heart, that shows the world the way that humans are supposed to live and interact with one another, where there are no steps. The powers and authorities, they want to create the steps. They want to create the hierarchy. We are created in a community where there is none of that, where we're, we're equal. But here's what it looks like in Paul's situation. So what we are called to is... And and Gianna, maybe I'm sneaking in to take a selfie here now, but I, I think we're called to see how Paul examined the culture for ways to establish the new creation and then start to examine our own culture and say, what are our own steps, our own hierarchies, our own instances of oppression, our own examples of the church allowing the, the divisions and steps and status levels and those sorts of things into the body. And what does the new creation look like? What does image bearing look like given our situation? And because our marriage situations, our parenting expectations, and, and the way we approach that is different. Our marriages are different. We don't have the same sort of slave master uh, status built into our culture. We have our own versions of these lies and these inequities. We have to look at our own versions and say, how does Paul's new creation, how do the values of that community then challenge us to act in similar ways as he was calling them to be? What does it look like to be the justice of God being lived out among us? So, Jason, we're in Take a Selfie at this point and bleeding into Kingdom Come as we're wrapping up this episode. Um, so what are your thoughts on Take a Selfie? If you are a leader and you're a husband right now, what, what are you thinking about? I mean, it's, it's, re- it's, really, it's a really um, 
for me, um, I see all the ways that that this this fundamental teaching. I mean, this is you know, this is is basically another version of carry your cross daily. You know, like it's just a more yeah. uh, honed in, you know, c- command uh, based on that principle. You know, you, you die for yourself, and it and it's it's the one place where it's easy to not actually live like that. You know, it's it's the one place where you you know can kind of you know you, my my family's going to be fine. They're not going to leave me if I don't. You know. I shouldn't say they're not going to, they're going to be fine, but like, it'd be easy to like not practice this at home, but then, you know, come up with lessons and try to influence the culture of my church by my church. I don't mean it belongs to me. The one I belong to, (laughs) um, you know, by teaching this. And so I think it's really, you know, if I'm taking a selfie with me, (laughs) I'm the, I'm the self, I see a challenge here for for me. Um, And I love your example um, with Reggie because that, that, you know, it's a small example in some sense, but it's the, it, that's the heart where it's like, you know, we're getting ready to plan our vacation and maybe that's why I brought that up as an example. I don't know. We're not fighting about it, but, but um, it could, you know, like to think of the other, to, to embody the life of the cross within my home is um, it's easy to talk about it. It's harder to do it. And I think like take a selfie. If now the self is all of us or, you know, the, the church or my, my community or whatever, like I, I think, you know, Michael was talking about how, you know, these passages or passages like this suggest ways that we need to, I don't know how you put it, the words of it, like, you know, injustices in the world, places that, that need healing or need this teaching, you know, we need to figure out how those lock in and connect with, you know, injustices in the world. And strangely, because of misreadings of this passage, one of the places where we need this is in the marriage (laughs) because there's been ways that we've, we've, we've by misreadings of this passage brought about a whole kind of new injustice within marriages. And, you know, you don't have to be around a church too long to encounter a husband that thinks his wife is his possession to, you know, or vice versa. You know, you you see all all kinds of struggles in marriages, Mm -hmm. but but um, this this is really like it's almost like we need this passage to undo what we've created by misunderstanding this passage, which is really ironic. Um, but yeah, I don't mean that on the whole, but maybe on the whole, you know. And and generally speaking, I think there are a lot of people, a lot of a lot of churches who turn to this passage to say, "Wives, yeah, what did you say, Michael?" Like. Um, you you may not like it or whatever, but you're called to submit. It says it right there. Yeah, um, right. Um, so that that's your act, of and faith. that would be you, know, you submit. That would be reading this passage incredibly out of context. Right. So now the the antidote is in the poison. Right. right. We we need this passage to undo uh, what what we've created by misunderstanding this passage. Well, so a reappropriation, maybe. Here's yeah. one other thing that jumps out at me. I want to say real quick, and then, gee, I'm going to ask you a question. 
But as, as we look at how Paul examines the culture for ways that it was not reflecting the new creation or ways that he wanted them to really think about how they could reflect the new creation, you know, go be imitators of God, go, go be establishers of God's justice. Here's what it looks like. Submit to one another. Uh, things like that. Be filled with the Spirit. Um, what's amazing to me is that he works within, and you alluded to this, Jason, he works within the existing structure, structures of culture to change them from within rather than trying to burn it all down. Let's just burn it all down and get rid of it. And that's, I think, instructive for us because we don't tend to have that same patience that Paul had. We see things and either there's one side which is like, well, no, let's let's keep these structures and defend them because they bring me a certain amount of power and you know position that I want to keep. So I will fight to defend it and say that this is I'm just listening to scripture. Or those who look and go, oh no, there are injustices. This is unjust. Let's burn it all down. Let's let's just take it out and start over. And so Paul is incredibly patient. You see him applying the gospel, but never does he like, we got to just, you know, shoot missiles at this and knock all the structures of culture down. He's like, no, we'll find a way to work within, but subvert. And in that becomes something new and different, which is really quite amazing. But, G, here's my question for you. Before we start recording and, and you know, we were talking about, okay, we're, you know, we're getting into this passage. Not that that was a surprise. We, we knew this was the day it was coming. But you said something, you know, like, oh, boy, I'm going to have a lot of thoughts on this. And then a little later, I think you said, you know, I can't wait to see how you guys sort of what your take is on this. And and how how you explain it. So given that we've now explained what we think Paul is doing here, what is your reaction and your response? Did, did it does it make sense what we're saying? What is your reaction to it and does it at all change how you've thought about this passage in the past? Well, um to answer your last question, I don't think it's changed too much how I thought about this passage, but it has bolstered what I've thought about this passage already. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from our conversation is really that verse 21, because every time I read this passage, I, I feel that there's like a balance between the husband and the wife. There's not a hierarchy. Yeah. Um, but I never paid attention to 21, which to me supports that feeling that I'm getting from what I'm reading about the relationships and roles within the household. Um, and so I just, right now I'm like pretty baffled that one, I'd never really paid that much attention to 21, how important it was, I think to the rest of this passage that we're reading. I think what's really interesting, and I'd want to look into a little further, we don't really have that much time on this podcast, but it says submit to one another out of reverence for court, for Christ. So that would mean that we'd have to understand what reverence for Christ is. And that's what I would want to go into deeper, because if we didn't have that, and we don't understand that, to me, it would seem it'd be hard to submit to one another. And I feel like that might be a starting point. 
Yeah, I'll I'll say something on that real quick. The the word used there can be translated fear, but I think most people agree that the NIV does a good job of capturing its actual meaning, which is more of a respect, a reverence. And so if if what we are trying to establish is the remember from chapter 4, take off the old humanity and put on the new humanity, we are in Christ becoming the wisdom of God, then if if we respect that, if we revere that, if that's our goal, then this is this is our why. This is why we're doing this. We are being imitators of God out of out of reverence for Christ. That's that's our that's our reasoning behind what we're doing. We are trying to live Christ out. And so, you know, to me, it just, it makes that much more sense that when we're individually out of line or off in our relationship with God, or we're not close in relationship to Jesus, that it would be really hard to act this part of the gospel, uh, submitting to one another. And so that's why I'm like, sometimes you can, you know, if you're studying the Bible with someone, you're like, yeah, submit to one another. But if, if they're off with their relationship with God, you know, it would be really challenging for them. And so I would say like, if, if this is a challenging passion passage for you, then I'd probably start with your relationship with God or your relationship with Jesus first. That would be a good starting point. Yeah. I, that That is, that is a really important point. And I'd say the act of submitting also does help that relationship with with the Lord. But but you're right, and I I'm drawn immediately to um, Acts chapter two, where um, they're they're meeting. Right, there's these like four pillars of the earliest Christian community post Pentecost, that first Pentecost, and in its what is it um, devotion or persistence in the word of uh, or the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it says the fear of God was on everybody or awe. Everyone was filled with awe. It's the same word. The idea here is that, um, or I think of Psalm 130, uh, let's see, it would be verse four, where it says, it's something like, um, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared, is the correct correctly, which is an odd thing to say. You think if for, with you there's forgiveness, therefore you are love, but it's feared. And the idea is a kind of awe. It's a kind of like, um, it's a, you know, even if I'm not feeling it, um, I got to, I got to just acknowledge Jesus here and, and let that guide the ship at some level. And, and it's really it's like, just to show, just to highlight how important this is like verse 21 and it's the beginning of a new paragraph, but it's, it's, um, let's see, uh, uh, it's a participle. It's, it's not, participles can work as commands, but it's submitting to one another in fear of Christ. And then check it out. Verse 22 is wives to your own husbands in the Lord. And so it's not wives submit to your husband. It's submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your husbands, not wives submit to your husbands. But it's it's drawing, it's the same idea. Like verse 21 and verse 22 belong together. There's no period at the, at the end of verse right. 21, which is part of the challenge of versification as it gets in the way. And we think, well, verse 22 is a brand new sentence. Like, no, it's it's continuing 
like wives submit to their husbands and not just like submit to your husband because he's the man and that's how it is. It's in the Lord. And so there, there's a, um, there is, there's a ground floor or a foundation for this behavior, which is Christ himself, which should evoke some level of reverence and awe and, and, and yeah, fear, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like he's saying, submit to one another. Wives, th- this still applies to you. Even though I'm just kind of blowing yeah, yeah, up exactly. all your expectations, that, that still applies. Yeah. yeah. But yep. husbands, right. now here's your responsibility. And again, if you know the household codes, this is all so shocking to address the socially right, inferior right. and then give responsibilities to the socially superior is to completely subvert expectations at every turn. Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like verse 21 is the is the lead sentence. And everything that comes after is an unpacking of verse twenty-one. Right, it's right. Like they're connected. So if like, you miss it's that, like you have this. You're missing a lot. Yeah. If you right, if you miss it, you're in trouble. Actually, here's the thing: if you miss it, here's how stupid it is. If you miss verse twenty-one and you just start your study at verse twenty-two, mm-hmm. here's what it says: Wives to your own husbands in the Lord. <laughs> it's like wives, what? <laughs> like you need it. It's dependent. It's a dependent clause. Like you need verse twenty-one to make any sense at all of verse twenty-two. So, uh, so um, a marriage retreat lesson that starts at verse twenty-two is <laughs> nope. is you in trouble. Saying nothing is in trouble. It's not saying anything. There's no verb. You're, you're, you're completely <laughs> out of context there. Well, I mean, right? I mean. No, in an English Bible, they're going to supply right. it because English translators have decided verse 22 is the start of a new thought, which is an odd decision. Now, I'm not a Bible translator, but just from my understanding of how language works, it doesn't make sense. Well, that, seems, like that feels like a decision 21. made with an agenda. There you go. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm led to believe, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's something else at work there. Well, you know— it's really difficult as a, a young reader, young in faith, trying to parcel through all this and figure that all out on my own. So, you know, really great discussion. Glad we brought that up. Anything else, Michael, to wrap up? Because we've merged Kingdom Come kind of in this, but what anything else on Kingdom Come, Come to wrap this up? No, I think we've covered it. It's just, for me, it's that question of reflecting the tension of new creation and love for others, you know, like how do I establish a new creation, still love one another, be patient like Paul was patient, but live out the justice of God. It's a challenge. And it's something that each community needs to think of and examine and be trained in. These, these are the things I think when, you know, we love Matthew 28 that ends in go make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey, train them to obey. But but what? It's the whole gospel of Matthew living out this inverted, you know, image bearing, no step, no hierarchy, new reality. Are we training our churches in how to do that? and how to be these sorts of communities. That's what Paul was doing, and that's the challenge for us in applying this passage is, are, are we training one another and living this out? Well, on our next episode, we're going to continue in Ephesians 6. And we're going to finish Ephesians 6. Mm-hmm, and we're going to be talking oh, cool. about putting on the full armor of God, which should be really interesting yeah. For a lot of us who, because again, oh, yeah. it just feels like Ephesians has a lot of those, you know, 
I don't want to say mainstream verses because, you know, the Bible is really unique and special, but it's a lot, a lot of the verses that are used a lot. You know, if you walk into any Christian bookstore, you'll see that. So um, we're going to have yet again another interesting discussion. We'll see what comes Can we of do it. dress up for that episode? Can we have Jason wear actual armor? Chain metal. Armor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to see if we all could wear what our interpretation of armor is and see what we come up with. Deal. But, uh, right. I'm sure we won't do That's it though. Um anyways, fun fun time today guys. If I our will. listeners want to chime in, they want to be part of the conversation, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can email us at iconpodcast@gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. You can also be uh, one of our listeners for Patreon. And you can hear all the extra stuff we talk about. I don't know what Michael and Jason are talking about now, but there's more. So make sure you We're going to connect tomorrow, right? To tomorrow we're something. recording several new episodes for Patreon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sweet. And guys, we'll have much more for you next week. Tune in. <laughs>